my name is Chris, and I am an addict alcoholic. Hi, Hi Chris. Chris. Today I am joined. Uh, I am excited because there's a lot of my childhood that I don't necessarily remember. And um, I tell people that we moved around a lot, but I only remember really from St. Helens on. Mm-hmm. So I'm just aware of the moving, not so much kind of how we ended up where where we are now. So do, so you do you both remember Idaho? Yeah, little bits of it. Okay. Do you remember, oh, this do you is remember, my brother Sean and Scott, by the way. Do you remember walking to school from? The student housing. It's real. It's weird how the some of the vivid memories I have, like that. Uh, what's that trellis? Pipe? Yeah, that's what it's called—a trellis, isn't it? No, not a trellis. What's it called? Culvert. Oh, it was a culvert. Um, and also think like in my mind though, it's like um, thirty if, foot. Yeah, if you look at like the <laughs> most amazing rapids you've ever seen. Yeah, right. That's what I picture, and kids are just going over it like it was nothing. Right. So set the backstory. We lived on student housing. Okay. At uh, University of Idaho. And we would walk to school through the college campus. Like it was, you know, first, I was in first grade. You must have been in, no, I must have been second grade in kindergarten then. Yeah. So second grade in kindergarten. So what is that like? Seven and yeah, five. Yeah. Yep. Seven and five walking through a college town on your way to school. No, no parents, no nothing. Just wow. you can't do that nowadays. So we, it seemed like forever to get across town. Probably it was like a mile. Right. <laughs> and then you could take the crosswalk and go across the little bridge to get to the school. Or there was a culvert that went across a drainage ditch that we would walk across this pipe over the drainage ditch because it was the cool thing to do. Oh, and interesting. As a, as a seven-year-old and a five-year-old, it seemed like, like Scott said, like you're crossing Niagara Falls on a, on a rickety bridge. Like... You could die at any moment. <laughs> wow. I don't, you know what's funny? On our walks, like I don't remember ever like walking on a sidewalk or anything. It seemed like we just walked trails, like and it, even though we didn't need to, like we just walked trails all the way to school. And then at the end, you'd have that thing that you had to walk over, yep. the pipe. Into the, and that was like the last thing before the school. Yep. How I remember it anyways. Okay. What, what do you guys remember of mom and dad and kind of i mean like did it seem like you seem to have the most memory of dad being like the stress that that they were going through sure um because by the time i mean my memories really get good um dad was in a better place Mm -hmm. and just continued to get in a better place financially so he didn't seem as stressed out to Mm -hmm. to matt and i but for you you saw a lot more of the uh, transition stuff. Yeah, like my eighth birthday, no, sixth birthday, I think it was. I got a one action figure, Panthro action figure, and it was the best birthday ever because I knew how broke mom and dad were, and I knew that that one action figure was a sacrifice for them to get that for me. Wow! And to have that one toy was like, man still to this day is like the best present I ever got. I remember that action figure. That made that lasted a while. Yeah. <laughs> um but the, yeah, that thing was cool as hell. Well and for you, I mean, I would assume were we in how old were we when or how old were you, I should say, when we moved to St. Helens? 
eight. It was middle of third grade. Okay. Okay. So is that kind of where your memories really pick up like more of what was, was going on at home? Yeah. Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, in, I remember some parts about Idaho, but I, I, I mean, I was way too young to remember anything adult ish, you know? Right. Like I just still, I, I mean, I probably only have maybe a handful of memories, but I know one of my memories is we'd be driving in the car with mom and we'd go pick up dad at the gas station. He'd be working. Oh, wow. And even if there was a customer, right, he would come running right over to the window and he'd just be like waving. And then he'd be like, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. And then we'd pick us up and then we'd go swimming at the pool. Oh, man. Wow. Mark Twain. The Mark, Tw- Mark five. Mark. What was it called? Mark something no hotel. And we got so instead of like a community center. It, we went to the hotel. You could pay for a pass to swim at the hotel. It must have been dirt cheap. <laughs> There's still hotels that do that now. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I remember that vividly. That's where I learned wow. how to. Wow. Uh, but it's like that's the, those are the memories I have. Like I don't, I wouldn't know anything about anything financial, or but, I don't, I don't remember what I got for Christmas any of those years or anything like that. Do you that. remember uh, in student housing the little old lady's house that was like a candy shop that you'd bike to? Yeah, we'd walk over to this this house. It was a candy shop, but it was it was like a you know you see some small businesses are started in a home. Oh, okay. And so it was just like a little candy shop. Like maybe their front room of their house was just a, an aisle of candy. Yeah, and you'd bring your shooting stars. Yes. Yeah. That was like still a thing where you could bring your uh, Tootsie Roll pop with an Indian shooting a star, a Native American shooting a star, and get a free. Uh, you know, you bring your wrapper in, yeah, but it, it had to be full. Oh yeah, it had yeah. to be a partial. That doesn't work. <laughs> That's right. I do remember that. I didn't, yeah. but no, I just remember it being a candy shop. I don't remember it being just some lady's house. Yeah, it was. It wasn't like a storefront. Yeah, it was like. I remember it being like it seemed like we were going into some old lady's house. But gotcha. I, feel, I feel like like parents <laughs> took turns and they'd take like because it was like us and I can't even remember what some of the other kids' names were. But like there'd always be like six of us going to the candy store. So, you know, this wasn't the time of helicopter parents. Mom made a map of the neighborhood, like the the housing campus. Yeah. And we didn't even have to tell her we were leaving. We just had to move our character on the map of where we were going. Mm -hmm. Wow. And if you remember, she actually did that at the South 10th Street house, too. I don't I don't remember that. And that's because me and Sean lived through student housing. And she was like, hey, if they made it through that... (laughs) The neighborhood <laughs> seems fine. That so is just, wild. So we just had to put on the map where we were going. I'm going to be at this playground. Can you imagine doing that with Landon right now? Oh, no. That that makes me want to shit myself just thinking about <laughs> but it. Can't you, you could just watch him on GPS, can't you? Doesn't you he have a phone? You could do it to an extent, but I just... I'm, but you just feel creepy doing that? Yeah. and Well, and I'm just way too paranoid. I'm with you. Because I'm not there. I'm, if, if I can't see them, I, I get so stressed out. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, would you mind scooching your chair just a smidge? Are you cutting this out? Yeah. Why do I have to scoot over then? <laughs> because your hat is in my camera. Oh, I see it now. I could just move my hat. No, you're, then your disgusting <laughs> hair will be. Or Do sorry. I need it? Do I need a scoot? There you go. Oh, Perfect. it's nice because they bounce. So you can just bounce Should, yourself yeah. over. All right. Three, two. Do you do it like a hand? No, you're not cut. supposed to say the last cut. thing. Cut. When do you stop counting? Cut. 
Eight, I, I'm seven. I just am Six. good at editing, so I don't even have to do that. Yeah, you got that background. Two, one. So, so if you're ready, to, you can start. Uh, so that's Idaho, and then so, we went to Washington. Okay. Army camp, army base. Do you remember anything of the army base? Man, I don't feel like I do. I don't think we did much significant there. Probably because Dad was always armying. I'm guessing, <laughs> right? Whereas yeah. like maybe I had more I of those few, memories before. I've from... got a few memories of that. Remember that? Uh, I mean, there's a picture of this. My my birthday party there with like 20 random kids and a Ninja Turtle cake. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You've seen the picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's. I mean, that's kind of what we did. We hung out. All kinds of just tons of people. Like there were kids everywhere. It was great. Like I remember walking down the just the, the neighborhood and just hanging out with the kids everywhere. Just always okay. I'm going to this kid's house and yeah. There was no I don't know. Like you say, it's a lot different now. You, you yeah. don't just let your kids roam a neighborhood and go off to kids' houses without knowing these people. Yeah. Can you describe just maybe, maybe this will jog my memory. Do you, what was the landscape like at in so Washington? There was, there was two. I remember living in two different places. We lived in one that was like an apartment complex, and somebody babysat us a couple houses like floors down once, and we went and watched Wizard of Oz with them. And there was a big parking lot where we'd ride our bikes in circles. Uh, which was the one where we lived? Where right out our back door there was a hill and woods. That or right out our front door. That was student housing, and that was in Idaho. Idaho. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yep. I don't remember much about Washington then, probably because this little shit came, was born. <laughs> yeah, I would All imagine. Attention went away from me. <laughs> Ruined his life. I know. Center of attention. Sorry. Um, <laughs> and I, I don't mean to to gloss over Michael, but I don't know how much you guys remember of of that situation even. So how old were you? I was five. You were five. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think I was five. I was the one that found him. Really? Yep. Um, went to check on him on his nap. I could see he was splotchy and, you know, being a five-year-old kid, you don't really understand it. Yeah. You know, you don't, you don't really get it that it's a significant thing. And I just remember saying he's dead. Like it was just a matter of fact, like, oh yeah. And that's kind of the last I remember of it. Of the whole event. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, it seems like that was kind of a turning point in um, the type of parenting that mom and dad did. It it may have been for the kids that came next. <laughs> and that's what I mean is, is, I mean, obviously dad has always been our best friend and like that's been his his favorite thing is to his his kids were his best friends mm-hmm. and he hung out with us he didn't hang out with mm-hmm. really anybody else it's because one time he went golfing and never heard the end of it so he never pursued friendship ever again never heard <laughs> the end of it from who us from his wife oh ouch yeah what a <laughs> bitch. All right. And I'll be honest, seeing dad golf, he wasn't that great. He wasn't going pro. So if he was going to give it up, that's fine. So, so it's my, a funny topic. You should ask dad about it. The, the, so <laughs> my like real memories obviously start on South 10th street. Yeah. And what I, um, I think like sums up 
our time there was just like sheer chaos. It was, we were horrible children. Um, Fair. (laughs) (laughs) And that was kind of, um, and it was an in-between spot where dad didn't have the best job at that paper mill Mm -hmm. and he was having to work shit hours and Mm -hmm. um, they were asking a lot of them and, and, he wanted to succeed, so he did mm-hmm, whatever mm-hmm. they would ask him. Um, but then on the other end with mom, it seemed like she wanted to do, she wanted to pursue like doing aerobics and, and stuff like that. Sure. And um, we took advantage of every single babysitter that came our way. Yeah, that's, I, that's <laughs> why I ended up being a babysitter at 10 years old. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it's, it's crazy because... Um, the environment plus more kids being spawned. <laughs> um, and like I said, that it seemed like they both wanted to have a career. Mm-hmm. Um, we just kind of did whatever. Like the m- most of the memories that I have are with you guys, not necessarily with them until we got to Columbia City. Then I it seemed like there was. Sure. More of uh, taking us to like uh, the village. Is that yep. what it was called? Village Inn. Village Inn. There we go. Freaking milkshakes were delicious. Yeah, yeah. And they bring you the metal cup with the extra. Yes, exactly. That was happening all the time. I think that was like the first place we went when we moved there. Oh, really? It, yeah, I think it was. Yep. Did we stay there the first night in Man, the town? That's a good question. Is that what happened? Maybe. But do you if remember? So, yeah, we did. So, funny thing, when we pulled down our street, South 10th Street, the first day we were moving in, it was December 21st, which happened to be Keith Wood's birthday across the street from us. Okay. And it was snowing. And we had just come from Idaho where it snowed every winter. Like it was just a normal thing. It was winter. It snowed. And, you know, Oregon, it's not. That's, that's like right. not normal. So the kids were just freaking out and everyone was going down the neighbor's hill on whatever they could make shift sled, you know, pots and pans. and Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... And I remember, I wonder, did Dad ever like look at the house beforehand? They must or the have. neighborhood. Yeah, I think they had. He had gone out. I think alone without us. Maybe, maybe with Mom. I don't remember. Because like I remember him being surprised there was kids, and then I remember him pulling over and talking to kids, being like, "Hey, how old are you, kids?" And like now, that would <laughs> be the creepiest thing in the world. Like, "Hey, what's up? Yeah. How old are you?" <laughs> and he was licking his lips. Weird. <laughs> He that 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 is why somebody was like, "Hey, with the lips, get some chapstick." Yeah, <laughs> send him the wrong message. Uh, so that's why he's constantly washing chapstick in the washer and dryer. <laughs> it's good for your clothes. So I'm trying to figure out now because something that um, was masked was, I mean, obviously we didn't know anything about mental health. We didn't know what anxiety was. What PTSD was any of that shit. Mm-hmm. It was just a lot of burying mm-hmm. the, those types of things, and um, almost trying to. I hate to say it this way, but like shaking the um, irrational aspect of us out of us. Mm. Like uh, just, I remember a lot of like, for me, because of what I know now about my mental health. Um, they're just not not able to understand or 
um, reconcile why I would do certain things and why I would hold so much weight over other things. And there was a lot of confusion. So like I, so I have hypomania with the anxiety, ADHD and also like this cocktail of just, uh, wild stuff. It was hypomania basically being bipolar is okay. So it's like, if you want to call it like a degree lesser than being full bipolar, um, but so like manic episodes. I was trying to break down the word hypo is below mania. Of, yeah. Like just manic, like mm-hmm. mental uh, disorder or. Yeah. So like not quite a mental disorder, but like. Oh, no, it is because it's it's just not as constant. Hmm. So it's harder to um, diagnose because it's not as in your face hmm. necessarily as like your classic bipolar disorder or something like that is. Um, but in that sense, like, I mean, I don't even know because it's, it's so weird to think back on, on that block in particular, because it was so insane that I don't even know if at the time it even seemed stressful you know what I mean? Like, I don't know mm. what your guys' perspective on it was, but I don't remember the even the thought of, like, stress or scared or anything like that. No, the only time I saw Dad stressed was when he was working on cars. Oh. Have you ever had to work on a car? Oh, I'm more talking about you guys. Me being stressed? No. It was it was just kids being kids. I mean, there was just another another... Just like moving every every other time we'd moved, it was a new block with a whole bunch of new kids that were our age, and that it was what I had grown up with was you move to a new place and there's a whole bunch of new kids and you go out and be kids, just I don't know, run wild. Yeah, but I mean, you think about the childhood that our kids have in mm-hmm. comparison to what ours was like, mm-hmm. even just on on that block, like it's completely different. They, we saw a lot of things that I would be terrified if our kids saw a lot of the stuff that, that we did. Like, was that house at the top of the hill, was that actually a drug house or was it just run down? It was just, well, uh, I think it was their uncle had maybe, uh, I don't know if he was dealing, but he was using drugs. And so that's why he ended up getting shot. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, so he got shot. Uh, by somebody who was either buying or delivering, is from what I remember. Because hmm. were you with me when we? Because I forget the how old those kids were that lived there, but I remember after that happened, uh, going into that house and then pointing at the ceiling and showing where the blood splatter was from that guy getting shot. I don't remember it. I Maybe I suppressed that one. I was not involved in that yes. at all. Because <laughs> then we had because those kids came and watched Aladdin with us while police were whoa doing stuff yeah it's pretty pretty gnarly don't remember that yep me neither homeless person living in the woods yeah that was really funny it's just like just don't talk to the homeless guy that's what our parents would be like they'd be like just don't talk to the homeless guy okay just keep walking (laughs) yeah i remember it being like not a big deal at all like there was no fear or concern it was just because what were we gonna do take the long way no that was like an extra three miles to school we had a, a straight path through the sketchy woods it took like 
five minutes to get Derek, to school. whatever the, his name was, Broders? was nice enough to let the fence be broke on one side so we didn't have to go all the way through the woods by Sandy, whatever her name's house uh-huh. was, and go up. <laughs> so we'd go through Derek's... Derek Broder's house, yeah. Back road, yeah, it was easy. But yeah, I mean, from that, Ryan getting bit by that dog. I um, wasn't... Were you there for that? No. Were, were you, you there? there? Was anybody there? I wasn't there, but I was there afterwards because like, I remember all the blood that was on the stairs um, trying to, I forget who was home because somebody <laughs> took Ryan to the hospital and somebody else was home and told me what happened. The fu- the uh, That was obviously a bad situation. I remember people telling me like he actually flew up in the air mm-hmm. from his calf, just the Dude. dog had his calf and threw him up in the air from well, his calf. He was calf. a little guy though. And I still so remember, <laughs> I still remember, um, maybe it was the Peterson's dad or something. They're like, yep, they're going to take it to the farm. And I'm like, why would they take this dog that almost killed this kid to a farm? This dog needs to die. <laughs> like, that's dumb. Yeah. Remember when they took Sylvester to the farm? And they came back. The cat, <laughs> the cat came back from the pound across. Dude, the... wait, who? Oh, they took it to a, okay. They yeah, took you it remember to the pound. The, you remember where the pound was, though? It was all the way almost to Columbia City. Yeah, it that's was like an amazing five miles cat. away. Yep. Yeah, if you love nuts. it, let it go. If it comes back, you need to kill that thing because otherwise <laughs> it's just going to keep coming back. Yeah. Yeah. That was a cat that came with the house. So previous owners weren't successful in moving their cat apparently because when we moved in, there was a cat that lived at that house. Out, it was outside, but yeah, it yeah. never went away. <laughs> yeah. I remember one time we left the, the sliding glass door open in the back and we came home and the cat was sitting on the couch in the house um you getting chased by that car uh and i i I remember you guys uh running down the down the street and then jumping over that fence uh to derek's house to get away from this this car that was chasing you guys i don't know if you remember that i think i vaguely remember it I don't know what it was for, or maybe we were embellishing. I don't know. Maybe it was just following us or something like that. But either way, I I do remember that a little bit. Yeah, That's yeah. funny you bring it up. I haven't thought about that forever. Because uh, I remember those guys yelling at you guys. I wonder what... That means we probably did something. <laughs> well, we used to go up... So there was like a, a, kind of a busier road right at the top of that hill. And we'd go up and take apples and line them up on the road and watch them squish them. Probably other more devious things, but... <laughs> yeah. I'm going to get the dogs. Can the camera see this? Now you look at me. This is more like 30 for 30 style where they're always looking off camera a little bit. You know what I'm saying? And that offended me. Thank you. That's a meme. And I thought I felt like I've watched that entire series and I don't remember that part where Jordan goes, and that offended me. Hmm. Did you? That's not thirty for thirty. That's the last dance. Oh yeah, yeah that, that is the last that. dance. But he's talking about uh, when uh, the, Isaiah Thomas. Was yeah, it? yeah. It, when they wouldn't shake shake their hands, they left the court early. Oh, you know what? It was funny. I the, I never even realized it, and I was a big fan of the Dream Team and everything. I never realized Isaiah Thomas wasn't on it until watching that, and then going, "Wait a minute, he was a great player at the time. Why wasn't he?" On it? <laughs> Yeah. That's weird. Do you it's remember? Like, oh yeah, they all you, hated him. Do you remember writing the letter to Isaiah Thomas to get a? Yeah, I got a card signed. Yeah, I thought you wrote it to Clyde Drexler. No, we oh. we went stood in line for Clyde Drexler's signature. Oh, yep, Clyde but I, the Glide. But uh, 
man, talk about the dumbest card you could ever get signed, like something with no value. It was an Isaiah Thomas don't do drugs card, right? <laughs> Who's ever going to want to buy Like, hey, nope, he signed it, though. No, nobody ever wants that card. That's a dumb card. And that's the card I sent to him, and that's the card he sent back signed. Did you send him a card, or you just... I thought you no, just I mailed him. it to him. Oh, you sent him a card? Yeah. Oh, I thought you just sent him a letter asking for... Oh, I sent him that card because mm, I was okay. on the dare. I was the dare president or something for the school. That was a successful campaign. Uh-huh. Okay, <laughs> now onto the onto the fun stuff. Um, but so, like in like summary of kind of what Saint Helens was like, it was um, like dangerous minds, but for little kids. Like so, like the Rugrats version of Dangerous Minds, basically. I never saw the movie. No? <laughs> no. Can you explain the reference? It's a lot of gang-related violence. But for us, it wasn't gangs. It was just violence. Was it really that bad? Yeah. You, you ever think me? about that? Was it really that bad? I mean, it, I know it was It was definitely a rough town, but was it like this place should be condemned type of town? I was in detention like almost every day. Yeah, so was I. As a nine-year-old. Yeah, so was I. For for fighting. Oh well, I wasn't fighting. I was. Just well, I mean, don't get me wrong. Off. I know kids did bad <laughs> things. So like, there was one kid, t- and this was like just a funny thing that everybody laughed at. But he would heat up BBs on the radiator, uh huh, and then throw them at people, and it would like burn their <laughs> necks. Right? Like we're talking like get them really hot. Yeah. Throw them at people, burn their necks, and it was like, idiot, go to detention. Like that was it. It wasn't like this kid is messed up. Somebody needs to evaluate him. He shouldn't be f- doing physical harm like that. Did you go to Condon Elementary School? I did. That's why I was in. I got expelled from that school. Oh, that's right. So, so I had to get transferred to a different but, school. But you mm-hmm. remember? So this school was like built in like the forties or something. Yeah, old. Had like the old style radiators everywhere, keeping it warm. Yeah, it didn't get that cold in Oregon, so it was fine. But the idiots put those radiators in the little boys' bathrooms. Oh yeah. That's right. <laughs> so the halls and? always smelled like pee. Oh, people because are peeing on the radio. Little boys. Wow. So that t- that whole town would smell like pee and poop because of the pulp <laughs> mill. Yeah. Oh, I loved it. But I new mean, kids would come to class. So I remember. Uh, can I the the can I worst? Here? Can I finish? Here? Oh, I you was, had more. Yeah. So you always knew when there was a new kid because <laughs> you'd be sitting in the middle of class would be perfectly quiet, and some kid would be like, "What is that smell?" <laughs> <laughs> oh man and it's like this kid hasn't lived here very long because the pulp mill would make the whole town smell like crap yeah it was, and they, they had no idea just depending on which way the wind it's blew. like they just realized that they're in the middle of class i'm like oh boy you're in for the <laughs> you're in for a treat because this happens every day my friend yeah it is insane to think of uh but the 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 biggest like well actually there are two things First thing was the all playground brawl that happened, which you had to have been out there for because we went to Condon at the same time. Because I remember there was a kid who was special needs that before, like I even grasped like what that meant. uh, My friends and I making fun of him and you telling us that uh, he came from a home where he was beat uh, with a, a bike chain. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. But, but I, I was the I was a men- mentor or whatever that program was. Okay. Where I would go out to your recesses 
And that was, this is actually pretty funny and it kind of goes along with this. There were so many fights that we had an in-school program where if you were in fifth and sixth grade, you would go out to recess at other people's recess to, to stop fights because there were so many fights that would happen. And I remember just every day. See, that, didn't, a fight that, that didn't happen while I was there. Oh, really? I was, that program didn't exist when I was. Yeah, we were constantly so, fighting. So in two years between the time I was fifth and sixth grade to when Scott was in fifth and sixth grade, your generation was coming through. <laughs> but it'd be like, there were so, so many fist fights that the, there was like, I don't know how many recess ladies, two, maybe. Yeah. yeah. And they were like, but they probably just couldn't even handle ladies. it. They're so like, all right, you got to bring a couple of sixth graders and fifth graders in here to try to stop some of this stuff. I was that man. Yeah. So that's, uh, so that's like the first thing that I remember, like when I, I think back on, on the, that school is, because all of the kids had to line up in their grade, mm-hmm. and then they would, you would you would go in based on that. And one day, while everybody was lined up, some commotion happened, and then all of the lines just got blurred, and the whole fucking playground was just fighting. Now, the biggest chaos I remember was the bomb threat day. We got we got a day off of school. So yep, that was pretty cool. You probably. You probably weren't in elementary because this is when I was at uh, John Gum. Um, when I was so I I get expelled, transferred to another school, and um, I remember on on the bus on the way to school the bus just pulled over, and we had to just wait there, and it was because uh, there was a shootout going on, not far away from where uh, John Gum was. And uh, so we had to just wait on the bus until the heat had died down. But yeah, just fighting, fighting, fighting all the time. Felt like it just never ended. And then we moved to Columbia City. Mm -hmm. And that's the first memory I have of like substance being introduced like at a young age. Hmm. And I don't know what your guys' experience was. Like were people smoking cigarettes or like what, what was... People were, when I was going to Condon in third grade, people were smoking cigarettes. I knew kids at third grade that were smoking. We would go over to, and I know this is just kind of a precursor, but this just shows how like above people's grade they were or trying to act at least. Um, These kids were going over to Red Apple in second grade to get coffee. Second grade, they were going, I remember going over to Red Apple with people before school and they were getting coffee. I remember people going to remember the little uh, Dairy Delish ice cream place. Yeah, they had coffee there too. And I remember going there and friends getting coffee at like yeah, like you say eight eight years old. Right. So that just shows you like how above like they were, even at that young of age, they were just doing whatever the thing was that they weren't supposed to be doing. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean that that encapsulates that <laughs> that elementary experience. Like for me too is. <laughs> Just constantly, like we would look for, um, we would get used cigarettes out of, uh, uh, you know, the receptacles. Yeah, well, not I don't want to say trash cans, but like ash, mm-hmm. ash trays, uh, those public ones. We'd we'd go, and it's funny you say Red Apple because that's where we would find them a lot of the time. Um, but with Columbia City, though, it was like there was a different. Like that stuff was really out in the open. Like all, it seemed like all of the kids were just out of their minds and doing shit like that. But in Columbia City, it was more like, yeah, we drink, 
we like drink our parents wine we we hmm. drink i remember john uh john eckhart getting drunk off of his dad's liquor when you know fourth grade whatever that is not 10 like 10 years old and they just from then on um uh, the rest of my little troop of friends would do that i i i took a sip of beer one time from do you remember todd julian just down the street yeah. no they were up the road by yeah the they were up the road they were down they were the- oh the julians yeah 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 um he was drinking beer and I have no idea how old he was, but, um, and yeah, that was the first time that I had tried it. But like for you guys, like when, when did people start trying to get you to do that stuff? That wasn't until high school. I mean, cigarettes yeah. was always around. It was more chew. Oh, so anything before that it was chew. And then in high school, I mean, even like, I don't even remember it being that prominent, like freshman year. And it's probably just cause me where I was hanging, who I was hanging out with, you know, I mean, I'm sure it was happening, but it wasn't until like late freshman, early sophomore year that alcohol really started to be introduced where, I mean, it was pretty common that people were doing it. But yeah, chew. And it was exciting if somebody got it. (laughs) Yeah. But that was, I mean, yeah, cigarettes, not really. I remember at the Woods house, we rolled up some of his mom's mint (laughs) and tried smoking it just because we were like, we couldn't get cigarettes. So we were like, oh, let's try this and let's see if it does anything. She had a mint garden. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was like notebook paper and mint. <laughs> yeah. I I did that too. I did it with uh Safeway grocery bags. Mm. Oh, plastic. That's I good. think I, I think oh, I watched Predator bags. and and I think Arnold Schwarzenegger has a cigar in that and I was like, fuck yeah. <laughs> that guy rules. Yeah. Um but I mean for you, how old were you when you first uh tried drinking or anything like that? Probably was until six. 17 okay why are you looking at me i don't know i'm just thinking does my face make you remember it (laughs) were you there now i'm just curious because i i i wonder um where was it was it more like just this is what kids do or was there I feel awkward around people. Therefore I'm going to try doing this thing to feel less awkward. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, for me, it wasn't, like I said, growing up having moved a lot and being around a lot of new people, I was forced to be adaptable. Okay. I mean, it was just how I had to be to get from, to go from one school to the next, you know, mid school year, oftentimes. Um, so drinking to me just was like well everyone says it's fun so must be fun okay and do do you guys remember anything about mom and dad talking about our uncles have having been alcoholics or anything like that not until later like when i'd moved out then then the talks came of your uncles were alcoholics and it's in your blood and and it wasn't until even she held on to the fact that our granddad was an alcoholic. She, she oh, didn't yeah. let that one out until that was like her, her ace up her sleeve. Like, okay, well, if you're not going to listen about your uncles, your granddad was too. <laughs> Thinking that would somehow up the ante and change my mind. See, I remember the first time like ever, like it was just like radio, listening to the radio. And they said like the word alcohol. And I remember mom like stopping. 
and going, you know, this is a very serious thing. You know that your uncles are all alcoholics, right? And I don't even think I was at that age. I was like, okay, yeah, mom, I get it. <laughs> it's like, that's weird. But it was just like, it didn't take like she noticed that I was staying out late or anything else like that. It was just all of a sudden she was like, like it was just on the radio. And it was all of a sudden the serious, most serious conversation I'd had with mom out of nowhere. I'm like, okay, you got it. And I think the conversation I had from dad was never drink and drive, ever. Okay. I remember him telling you that. See, and I, I guess I remember, um, I think it was uh, before I went to New York for the first time when I was 14, um, was when I had been told that. And then I don't know if I had asked or how it came up, but then Wally telling me about his escapades and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I still, like, I don't remember anyone making that connection to say that it's it is within you to become an addict sure you know what i mean right. it was more just like a fa- just a statement of that wasn't enough to explain that there's a real uh hazard to you to follow that same path if you specifically to you right not to yeah. the, not to the rest of us <laughs> no like specifically to you like <laughs> if you're sitting there with your friends right your they your best bud could have nothing to do with alcoholism right he could drink like a fish for a year and then just be like all right i'm done with that i don't even want to do it you're anymore. saying specific to you in like the the you. royal sense yeah sure royal sense just means like we meaning all like applicable to anybody so you still being applicable to anybody is just like in the it. but anyways um yeah i n- none none of that stuff connected um but like going back into history, like, and I don't know if it was as feverish for you guys, but I do remember like to, to circle back a little bit, like porn was very, I th- I feel like we clearly were extremely drawn to that. Yeah. That became way too accessible when the kids would go to the recycling bin, dumpster diving and th- create a stockpile in that woods between school and home (laughs) and yeah yeah well and on but on top of that like after having to go talk to the bishop and you know tell him what we had done where i was six so i didn't even know what any of that shit meant but i remember from that point like mentally going I, nothing actually hurt anyone hmm. and it made me feel different i don't get the problem with hmm. mm-hmm. viewing this thing and feeling different if it's not actually hurting anybody hmm. but knowing that we that then we had to hide it for for forever after that um and all of us having our own views on it whatever way they manifested I'm not trying to say you guys are gay, but But I mean, so that's like the first inclination of addiction that I can recall Mm -hmm. is like, Mm -hmm. because that's what addicts do is the getting away with the thing is just as thrilling as finding the thing. So like that cycle gets started early enough. Mm -hmm. It gets worse as you get older when you, when you're constantly having fun and getting away with it 
it just like kind of spirals after that. But I don't, I don't know. I think you were the the first like people like mom and dad thinking that you had a problem. And even then, still me. <laughs> we still talking porn? Or are we talking? Now? Yeah, what are we talking about? <laughs> no, now we're talking about we're just talking about addictions in general. So, like, mom and dad thought that you had a problem because you were just drinking in college, and and I still and in my brain I was like, no, he's just that's just what college people do. You end up in shenanigans. That shit just happens. And so I kept rationalizing all of the things so that I would not feel bad about doing it hmm. and would just f figure out a way for me to be able to have. So it, it went from like what could have been normal things to like it, every single time I found out about something that could alter my state of mind, then I would like hunt after that thing. Hmm. And it's it's also like a part of the hype. So okay, I'm kind of all over the place here. We move to Minnesota, and that seemed like the first time that any of us kind of like we we gen we like genuinely took a hit because all of the other moves didn't seem to have negative uh, aspects to it. Whereas Minnesota, there was a a clear like depression yeah. that kind of washed over the family. Well, yeah, I mean it was a tough time. I was a senior in high school, was midway through my senior year. Scott was a sophomore, midway through his sophomore year, star stud football player. But that didn't matter because football season wasn't for another little while, so I couldn't show off my goods. <laughs> but it was awkward. This was probably the biggest change as far as. Scenery. They're different people. <clears throat> yeah. That's a completely a, different it culture. It was a culture shock. Yeah. Whereas before we were in these communities, basically, right? A, you're in a college community, then you're in an army community. There's a bunch of people that are all in, in your same boat. And then all of a sudden we come here and it's like, well, hold on a second. I've been going to school with the exact same people since I was in kindergarten. Who are these guys? Even And even why are in, they wearing checkered jackets and bright pink and bright green yeah. <laughs> yeah it was just a weird it was a it was a culture shock it was and i mean i think maybe because you were into sports you adapted a little better than us but i i am i am curious as to the dynamic change because you left and then you were now the oldest Did, like was more responsibility pushed onto you did you feel no not at all no, I don't feel like it. No, I just but that's the I think part of the problem is I felt like I had no responsibility to anybody at that point. Like I almost feel like everybody just well, is every boy for themselves. <laughs> yeah, it's like every boy for themselves. And I was like, I was just keeping myself busy. I had sports. I had all that stuff. So I was just left alone. It's like, here's the green car. Come back by 10. So I didn't have to worry about you guys very much at all. Mentally, personally. And that's interesting because where for you, like most of your childhood was, where are your brothers? What are they doing? Babysitting, yeah. Doing stuff but like that. I mean, that kind of went away as everybody got to the past that 11, 12 stage of, you know, okay, you're, you're old enough to take care of yourself. But when it came, you, you still had, uh, uh, I would say, like a sense of responsibility when it came to 
teaching us about certain things hmm. like snowboard culture, sure. skate culture. Yeah. Like I feel like you, you didn't relinquish any of that stuff until you moved. Right. And so I'm curious. Keeping in contact wasn't what it is now. You yeah. Know, there wasn't Facebook. I didn't own a cell phone when I moved out of the house, you know? So it, yeah, it couldn't just get a hold of each other and FaceTime, you know, those things didn't exist. It was, a once in a while phone call to home, let mom and dad know I was alive. If I was going to go up to Canada, I'd call them, let them know <laughs> I was wow. going to leave the country just, but you know, when you would go spans of time without seeing us and then come home, mm-hmm. did you start to see like a change? Did like, what, what did it look like? What did we look like to you when you would come back? Did what? it seem like you were picking up where you left off or did it seem like there were, like seem to be more extreme changes. That's hard to say. I was pretty into myself during that time. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't as observant as I should have been of others in general, like humans as a whole. I was so self-focused during that time period of my life that I missed a lot. That's interesting to think of. When when you were in high school, you were smaller than most mm. people. Yeah. I mean, as, as were the rest of us, but um, you were... Like, cause you were like 90 pounds for Fresh, freshman year. Yeah. I was like maybe five foot two, maybe a little somewhere around there. And yeah, I think I wrestled the lowest weight class was a hundred pounds and they didn't have a hundred pounder. So they, they wanted me on the team. So they didn't have an empty slot on their bench. Uh, but I was 82 pounds. So I was giving up 18 pounds and wrestling against kids that were cutting weight to get to a hundred pounds. And they tossed me around like a rag doll. So after a couple of matches of that, I said, no, no, thanks. <laughs> I'm done. I'm out. Yeah. Well, and so that's where I'm, uh, it, I, I've wanted to ask these types of questions for a while and it, I've struggled to, to find the framework on how to ask them, but it seemed like because of that, you knew how to survive in your own way mm. and you wanted the freedom to be able to do it that way. Mm-hmm. So you would have the things that you enjoyed and you knew how to be, you know, successful to whatever degree that means. Um, and you just wanted to, uh, the, um, the license to be able to do that. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So when you started to like, but, but you, you did get like a really big push by moving back out to Oregon, um, and kind of being forced into adulthood pretty fast that way too mm-hmm. um at what point did you change your mind and and thought i don't want it's i don't want it to just be about me mm-hmm. or some hot chick mm-hmm. like i want does that make sense what i'm trying to say yeah yeah when did i start to want to become a better person and not just live in the moment <laughs> well, not even that it equates to being a better person, but just that something was missing mm-hmm. and a way to feel whole was to have to let people in and have it not just be about you. Um, man, that's going to, it's going to take a lot longer than <laughs> I think. Aren't we Pat? Did we hit our time limit? So 30 to 45. I think we're pretty close to our time. No, but, um, I had a couple things leading up to seeing that I, I wasn't happy with where I was at in life. Um, living in a, 
an apartment in Portland that I could barely afford to heat, no food in the fridge, uh, driving a car that was in the shop more than I was using it. So all my paychecks were going to fixing my broken down car and paying my portion of the rent, um, working at, you know, at a smoothie shop, <laughs> you know, and I, I, I knew I was capable of doing so much more than just surviving like that. And that's all I was doing was just surviving, uh, just surviving to the weekend to, you know, have my next bit of fun. And it wasn't real happiness. You know what I mean? It was, yeah, it was the freedom that I'd always wanted and was pursuing and, but it wasn't bringing me uh, to a place where I was happy with myself or, um, felt good about anything that I had accomplished because I hadn't accomplished anything, you know? And, and I, I think that when you decided to go on, on your mission, there was, um, there was a clear change in your, your moral compass Mm -hmm. that I was so unused to that it made me pull back. Mm -hmm. And I was more used to like the abrasive version of you. Right. And, and I think I didn't really like where I was at, even though I was still in high school. Like I didn't really like where I was at, um, smoking weed all the time. And, and to, for you to seem to have figured out how to have purpose. Mm-hmm. Plus you got to do all of the other things that I hadn't done yet. It was like, I, I, I feel like I resented that aspect. Hmm. Does that makes sense. Yeah, like, it's interesting. Yeah. Like I said, for me, so I got to a pretty dark place where, like I said, living in a, in a cold, I mean, we didn't heat the apartment more than 60 degrees. So I slept under a blanket with a coat on, you know, and it didn't get, you know, colder than probably 35 degrees in Portland. It's not like Minnesota where it's 30 below, but yeah, you know, barely keeping the house warm, uh, surviving on next to nothing, ramen noodles and a smoothie because I worked at a smoothie shop. <laughs> That's the only way I got any nutrients. Um, you know, I got to a point where I was questioning the existence of God and that's where I guess it comes back to Michael again of, I couldn't fathom that I would never see him again like that. It couldn't, I couldn't accept that. And so starting with that, I couldn't let go of the belief that there was a greater purpose. Okay. And kind of had to build back from ground zero from there of, if there's a greater purpose, what is it? And what should I be doing about it? But, you know, that didn't happen overnight. You know, it just kind of geared my mind to be ready for a change. It didn't instill the need to change. Um, you know, obviously when Amanda came into my life and I felt what it was to be happier about trying to be a better person around her, um, that helped me have the, um, desire to pursue that change. Mm. What was that call with mom and dad like when you told them you were coming back? Back to Minnesota? Yeah. I'm not sure. They probably have a good recollection of it. Um, my, it for, so kind of the the real, what was weird about that was the reason I decided to come back, so I, I was trying to go to college on my own. I was paying for it by myself. I didn't, nobody coached me or guided me towards like student loans or how to finance it. So I was trying to do it with the money I'd earned over the summer. Well, that ran out after one semester. And I was, like I said, working full time as a, at the smoothie shop, not making more than minimum wage hardly. Yeah. <laughs> so 
I started that second semester at college and I couldn't afford to buy my textbooks. So instantly I started falling behind in my classes. And so before the t timeline was up, I just, I dropped out that second semester of Portland Community College. And then about that time, I got a letter in the mail saying I was being sued for an accident I'd had a, a year or two ago. I uh, rear-ended a lady and she was claiming damages for neck injury or something. And um, I was like, man, I got no money. I'm getting sued. I can't afford to go to college. I got to give up on this, you know, trying to do it on my own. I got to, I got to go back home. I got to, you know, come back to mom and dad and try and figure things out. Raise your hand if you've never been sued before. <laughs> so what it was, what I didn't realize at the time was a 19 year old kid, you know, don't really understand when you get a letter saying you're being sued. What it was, was the insurance company was failing to pay out what they were, you know, it's obviously the insurance company was liable to pay her for her yeah, but you don't know that at that age no i didn't know that and so because the insurance company hadn't paid her out they sent out a letter to me directly oh about that so i never had to actually deal with anything that's like when you get a a, a bill from the hospital and right. you see that big dollar amount right and you're like, holy shit i can't pay that right but as a you know like i said a 19 year old kid with limited understanding of the legalities of it i'm reading this letter going I'm being sued and I don't, what do I, I don't have a credit card. I don't have any way of paying this. I had nothing to my name, you know? <laughs> yeah. Felt pretty hopeless. Oh, and I mean, obviously from, from there you, you, you've always had a really good, um, and I think you're the most like dad in this sense that, um, adapt, that adapting and being able to push through, shit jobs you know what i mean like you guys seem to have a really high tolerance when it comes to um seeing your goals mm -hmm. and knowing that these are just footnotes mm -hmm. i am so in the moment and i hate every single job i've ever had mm -hmm. and i it it's and it's been apparent because new york by the time I was 18, I was like, this fucking blows. <laughs> <laughs> but you just kept plowing through and, and knocking it out. How long did you go to New York for? A long, long time. Many years. Like, I don't even know. Like, I've been there since basically every summer from when I was 15. No, on. you skipped the next summer because you just wanted to be a kid. <laughs> one year, of, one year of summer work will do that to you. It's like, ooh, this is rough. Yeah, yeah you were. I got to be a kid well, again. No, yeah, when did you? No, because you, were, you really? were yeah, you were fourteen the first year you went out. Whoa, mama! Yeah, that's pretty young. So you're like, I'm just a kid. I gotta, I gotta be a kid. So but I think you I, took your fifteenth year year off, and then you came back. I think, yeah, then I, but yeah, I, yeah. Then I was out there for a long, long time, many years. Yeah, did we all go when we were fourteen? No, I, I was sixteen. That was you the first, were 16? That was the first okay. time it happened. Was I was sixteen? Scott was fourteen. It was just for a month. Um, and then the next year I went back alone for the entire summer, like the day after school got out till like a week before school started. I wonder if that's why I didn't want to go because I think you were very well money driven at that point. Yeah. I remember I was raised with broke parents. Yeah. So if I wanted things, I had to figure out how to get them. <laughs> Unlike Josh, <laughs> I'm looking at you, Josh, I know you're watching. Raise your hand if you don't have one of mom and dad's credit cards in your wallet. <laughs> 
so I mean, for you, you've you've kind of had like a more free spirit approach to things, and the notion that education will just that's what's going to take care of you in the long run. Well, that's so what, that, that's what we were told. I mean, we watched Dad go through school. We were kids at school while Dad was going to school, and we were brought up that you finish high school and you go to college. Mm-hmm. That's there wasn't an option. It was just this is what life is. See, when I when I was going through it too, it, was, it wasn't just about the education. It was like college is where things had happened, right? So like in high school, as like a junior, it's like, all right, well, you go to college. That's where you meet your wife. You get married a couple of years after college, and then you start having kids. So it was like, it wasn't even just about education. It was like everything happens at college. That's so that's why everybody goes to college because that's, yeah, that's where you go. That's where things start to happen. And that's just, it's so funny to think about because I, I bet I had that exact conversation in like as a junior in high school being like, oh yeah, so I'll go to college. I'll meet my wife at college. We'll start having kids at like, <laughs> I don't know, 25, 26, something like that. And almost all those things came true like to the T. That's funny. That's really interesting. Yeah, I would not have thought about it that way. Do, do you have a job in what you went to school for? Yeah. What about you? My second degree, yes, but no. <laughs> second oh, yeah, degree, yeah. but my first degree, no. I mean, I, I was, yeah, my first degree in biomedical science, and I was working as a buyer at a paper mill, and had a house and two kids and one on the way, and I was like, well, one on I'm... the way. <laughs> Tammy Wynette, I think. <laughs> Like, I guess I'm doing this. One's in the kitchen, the other's in the sleeping. When one's on the way. You heard it? We're cutting this out, right? Yeah. Okay, good. (laughs) Awful. (laughs) Now, man, that's interesting you say that, though, because I hadn't thought about that. So things did kind of go the way that it seemed like they were supposed to go um, in that formula, right? Of you do well enough in high school to get to college, you do well enough in college to graduate, and then once you have your degree, um, you'll have your wife by then and da-da-da-da-da. At what point did anxiety... Because, I mean, I think, like, we all have some form of anxiety in our family. And no, no one started to learn that shit until uh, mom finally, they they tried to put her on a medication and it went the way that it did. And um, But that was like the first kind of thing that I had heard. Hmm. But beyond that, it was just, no, everybody's fine. Right. And then you learn just on both sides of the family, the amount of uh, social anxiety, PTSD, uh probably bipolar like myself um well i mean i know for sure a couple of of cousins who have been diagnosed with that as well so like just this litany of mental health stuff that we were just kind of like you just keep doing (laughs) just keep going just keep going until you you know you just forget that you have the thing (laughs) but i mean you uh you and i spoke um kind of when I had been uh, put in the hospital the first time um, and you realizing that you uh, had like anxiety issues um, and 
in that there there wasn't like any one activity that could just make you forget about the anxiety that you were feeling. Um, do you remember like did that happen with your with with that job that you had or was there something that had kind of started uh, a little further back? No. Well, it's all about when you realize it. So I didn't even realize it until recently. And we're talking recently, like 10 years ago, right? But it's almost like equated to when I went to go get my, uh, well, Sam, when I first knew her, she went go to go get her eyes checked, right? They're like, oh, you need glasses. It's a very, very small prescription it's like the smallest prescription you can get right you your eyes are almost perfect but you could wear these and they could be better and she wore those and she's like here try these on and all of a sudden i tried them on and it was like holy crap everything is in at the time 1080 right sure it's like holy i did not realize that this is the way that you're supposed to see (laughs) right and it's the same thing with like i just thought this was stress all the time it's like, okay, this is typical stress. This is what everybody's going through. Until at one point you're like, well, maybe it's not. And then it's like, finally you talk to a doctor, you get things figured out, and you take like, for me it was one pill. And then as soon as I took that one pill, then I was like, whoa, this is how you're supposed to be able to live your life without having to worry about that all the time. So it's just, yeah. So it wasn't like 10, I would probably say it was 10, 11 years ago that it was just the realization that, there's a difference between typical stress and having terrible anxiety. Where you just want to lay in bed and cover yourself up and not get out of bed all day. Yeah. Right. <laughs> which we would do that all the time, which is another like thing that um, for like some kids it was like, yeah, he always oh, lazy. He's in bed still. But for us, it was a little different. Like, cause it was, it was always randomly. We all did that to some extent. And with Matt, like his, um, there were just things that he didn't want to do and he wasn't able to explain why he didn't want to do that thing well enough. And he just wanted you to leave it alone. And so that's why he would have those big outbursts. Um, but it's all anxiety. Like we all just had to deal with that and, it sucks that it took so long to like even realize what any of that shit was. Cause I mean, I was diagnosed with depression when I was 18, but it still just stated that mm-hmm. like they, we, we, and I mean, obviously with the times, like we now know more about like, it's never, well, I shouldn't say never. A lot of the times it's not just depression. There's something else going on and you have to dive in and, and kind of deconstruct all that shit. And so it's, it's crazy that within the last like six months is only when I finally figured out like, like all of the things. And it just, I I wonder what life would have looked like if, like you were saying, somebody would have just put a pair of glasses on and, and then we all would have been like, Oh yeah, I don't, I don't feel like hiding from my friends right now, or I don't feel like avoiding X, Y, Z. Like, it's it's it i don't know it's really weird and when my addiction stuff started did it cause you guys like any reflection on either past use current use like did did you start to evaluate the way that 
you used. Does that make sense? Mm. I don't think so. I like I said for for me it was just a um, felt like there was a wall between us. It created a division of you're doing this thing and you don't want me to be, you know, I'm not a part of that thing. So you're, you're pursuing, you know, avenues that bring that to you. And so just coming over to hang out and do whatever that's not that, you know, just watching movies or playing board games or something stupid, you know, that that wasn't on the table because it wasn't bringing you what you needed at the time. So to me, it just created that separation between us for a, a period of time i think for me instantly it wasn't the fact of me um re- uh, reflecting on myself it was like almost instantly it was like a few people looking at me like is this making you think about it and then as soon as that happens it's like Psh, you kind of get defensive it's like Psh, leave me alone i'm not like that i'm not chris you know yeah. why aren't you looking at him why are you looking at me so i do i guess i haven't even to this day i probably haven't really reflected on it a ton because I've just tried to deflect it to be like, it's not my problem. Yeah. Well, and I mean, obviously, like, uh, a big thing is um, it's when your life becomes unmanageable is, like, um, is really the only time that people try to label it for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I guess I was just curious. Because I don't know like for a lot of people like I was their first addict like I was the first person who had to go to treatment and all that shit so it was it, there was a lot there's a lot of questions like on my end to see like what what does what we call normies what does a normie think of someone like me or like does it make them look at anything else do they or does that even it's so far from even the realm of understanding because never felt like I have to have this thing or I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. So I can't even relate to it or like any of that stuff. So I, I don't, I don't get to ask that very often. But think about it. I mean, even in our situation, let's we've got this whole side of the family that's been addicts, right? But where are they at now? You know, they're all fairly normal people. And so even our, what we see as people who are addicts, it's like, Oh, they're fine. They go to treatment and then they're fine. Didn't it also seem kind of like a joke too, though? Yeah. Like when they would talk about them being alcoholics, like Wally never shied away from talking about it. Mm-hmm. Joe never shied away from talking about it. And like they would do it in a way that like it almost seemed like, but we were also younger. So that shit just happens when you're younger. Not addressing the actual addiction itself. And it was more of like, oh, yeah, if I can survive it uh, in my younger years, then I'll be fine when I'm older. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, obviously that was a different era, you know, even less educated about addiction issues and mental health issues than where we're at today. So I, I get what you're saying. They, you know, they they try not to dwell on the negative side of it. and um, But they, you know, they each have recognized the harm that it caused in their life and moved on from that and, you know, I always really, I really saw it as a great um, victory for each of them that how amazing that they were able to give it up at that age, you know, all pretty oh. young, you know, it was all, they were all pretty young when they, when they gave it up and that's interesting just held to it. Like, nope, it, 
you know, it was put me in a path that didn't work and I gave it up and now I'm a different person. We're talking about almost pre being able to go buy alcohol. Like they were all, they were basically minors. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 Like they were, they were young people. They were already basically in and out of rehab before people had of their age had taken their first sip of alcohol. <laughs> right. Yeah. Wally was 21. Joe was, I think, under 21. I'm not, yeah. Um, pretty young when they, when they, but stopped. yeah, that's interesting though, that, that concept of like, cause yeah, as at that age, I definitely could not imagine not drinking or anything like that. It's a weird thought. What, 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 when, so when I ended up going through the stuff that I went through, what were things that helped you guys either better understand or get through because I, I, I still don't really know what the family was doing like while I was in the hospital or while I was in treatment. I have no idea what your guys' communication with each other was, even if you were talking with each other about any of this stuff. Yeah, we were. Um, we were you know, talking to each other about it, and it was all centered around what can we do to help? How can we help Chris, you know, once he's out of the hospital, what can we do to help him um, feel supported in in his recovery and you know be more involved? I, that was my goal: is I wanted to make sure I stayed more involved and um, knew what was going on with you, and and not lose sight of that. And I think Sean did a good job of crawling us in that. But that's the conversations that we were having as a whole, like the conversation that I was having personally in my family was more like this kid is super selfish and this is, this really makes me mad that he's doing this. Right. Like it's, it was a very selfish thing that what he was trying to do. So even, I guess I still don't even understand. You're talking about my suicide attempts. Yes. And not just that, but just in, um, alcohol, alcoholism or any kind of addiction is a very selfish thing. Mm. You're really only thinking about yourself. You know, you're not doing it for other people. So that was my internal thoughts. So it was, I mean, we were all there. We want you to be better, right? And so I would have done anything to help make sure that we were there for you. But still, my own personal thoughts was that of um, you being selfish. And that that makes, that's insanely common because we are the vehicle with which you see addiction. So addiction um, is not able to exist without a, a host, right? Um, so people see, we're all that you see of it. So like addiction doesn't really look like addiction. It looks like me putting something over my family's well-being, over my own well-being and things like that. Um, have I told you about that whole midbrain process and all of that? No, Dr. Chris. So uh, on a primal level, in order to survive... Uh, uh, we evolved to have a midbrain, which needed to introduce a reward system for simply surviving. So you need food, water, you need to breathe. And so our brains uh, figured out a way to introduce, that's where dopamine comes in. So they figured out a way to, when they do, when we, when we do what we need to, to survive, we need to introduce dopamine in some way. And, when you do that, 
your brain then remembers that. And so uh, your brain starts to, so it turns into this three-step process. So the midbrain says, hey, we need this. And then the second part, uh, which is your limbic system, uh, is like the contemplation. All right, how do we get the thing? And then the prefrontal cortex is the third thing that puts it into action. So because these were really basic things and it would happen really quickly, it was very, I don't know, um, instinctual, primal, all that stuff. When substance got introduced, it doubles the amount of dopamine that your body is used to having. So in some people, uh, the the addict especially, um, our, our brain says, oh man, uh, we now need this to survive because we know that dopamine is associated with survival. So it, it does this now. So the midbrain says, okay, we need the dopamine because that equals survival. So how do we get the dopamine? We skip the, pro- the, the thought process and go straight to action. So you don't, so when you hear people say like, before I even realized that I was reaching for the bottle or before I even realized that I was shooting up heroin, like it's because you're literally changing your anatomy and now your brain is like, this is just how we survive. And when you remove that thing, your whole wiring system just starts to freak the fuck out. Like I was an insomniac for a week straight, like couldn't sleep heart constantly racing and it's because your body kind of goes into like fight or flight it's like dude why aren't you introducing the thing that we know we need to survive so it's called the disease of choice because initially we choose to use the substance we don't choose how our body chooses to process that and i didn't learn that until the i think i was two and a half weeks into treatment and when I heard that, I was like, oh, okay. So when my brain says, you need that thing, I need to make sure that I'm introducing the the why, the questions. Why do we need this thing? How are we going to get that thing? Is getting that thing, um, is the process to get that thing negatively affecting other people? So like I, I had to start to rewire and reframe like normal thought processes. Um. But that's what's helped me the most in like understanding addiction, like on a very like primal level. But it it is it's going to look selfish because. Yeah, we're we're the ones doing it, and it's not like it's some thing that outwardly makes you look ill because you have to introduce the thing first. Right. Like an addict has to drink the booze we have to snort a line or whatever um to keep the disease going so it all just looks like i'm making choices to be shitty over and over and over again does that make more sense Mm, a little bit i'm still trying to figure out and i'm sure everybody is just the tie between addiction and mental illness Right. Like, is there one that's more important? Like, what do you need to be looking for? Do you need to be focusing on your addiction or do you need to be focusing on your mental illness? 
being better at both of those? Like, sure. which one's the one that, or how do you do it in intertwined? Like, how do you do them both at the same time? So the majority of addicts have some type of um, mental health issue, and I, I only say issue because uh, people don't recognize PTSD a lot of times for even being PTSD. Like, you probably wouldn't even realize that you being the one that found Michael to be something traumatic and something that's logged in your brain that way. And that type of thing is something that can drive someone to drink and they have no idea that that is the driving force that's making them drink. So underlying mental health issues can play a really big part in on a subconscious level. Like you're not even realizing that this is the thing that's that kind of is pushing you towards that thing as well. Um, and for like, so for me not addressing my mental health stuff, like I would try to own like depression, but I didn't want to address all of the other mental health issues that I clearly had. Um, like a lot of like the self-righteous shit that I would do. That's a really common thing when it comes to like, uh, bipolar stuff. So like, because I feel so strongly about this thing, it means I'm right. And now we're going to fucking argue about it. Um, that like that creates a dynamic of people don't understand me and fuck it. If nobody understands me, then I might as well get fucked up. So there's little things like that. For some people, it's like microaggressions that happen throughout their life and, and kind of puts them in, on that path. But uh, yeah, I mean, to some degree, there was one person that I was in treatment with that didn't have some underlying, uh, mental health issue and these were ranging from an 18 year old to a 65 year old and every single one of them had something um that they didn't even realize was traumatic or anything like that uh like there was two grown men who thought that other grown men woke up screaming all the time and like that they had to have white noise machines. Otherwise they were going to wake up screaming. They thought that that was just a normal thing. So there's, yeah, mental health is huge in addiction. And if you don't address it, it can be a big reason for relapse. So I would say it's they're very, very, very much intertwined. Well, what are you focused on right now? So that was my big focus when I got like right before I got out was I need to understand my mental health stuff more because I would use it as an excuse to use. I feel shitty or I would get the fuckets and and um, and then that would be an excuse to drink rather than realizing that I had an addiction. Um, so I chose to rather than going to AA meetings, just doing more research into how the brain works and how your anatomy works and um, why, yeah, why we feel like we have to hunt for that thing. Cause that's another big thing is like the hunt as they say. Um, Cause there's people that get addicted to dealing. Mm. And part of that is this like, yeah, very primal. If you don't have to activate fight or flight, like there's no reason most people on a daily basis to have to activate their fight or flight. 
So dealing, getting away with crimes, it's activating that fight or flight. That's why like some people are really into horror movies is because it's activating that fight or flight. That's why some people really like to Facebook fight. Yeah, for sure. Why did you look at me? I don't like to Facebook fight. I don't think you like to Facebook fight either. I think I, you like to real fight. Do you do you <laughs> do you still Facebook? I have I have the Facebook. I have the Facebook, but do you? I like? Facebook. I like to get on uh, late at night and make one or two sarcastic comments, and then <laughs> look at it again in about a couple weeks. Nice. It was sucking my life away. I was giving it like two hours a night of just mindless scrolling, so I had to give it up. Yikes! Yeah, but anyways. Mental health stuff is incredibly important in my personal recovery. The more that I understand about how the the brain works, the the more I'm able to look at my addiction is like a, an outward thing. Like it, it, it feels like you're in remission. And so the cancer's out of me. And so now I'm looking at it like it's over there now. So... We're just going to keep doing things that keep it from coming back in is what it feels like. And I think that's super. I mean, mental health is obviously insanely important in any regard um, or irregardless, as some people might say. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so, I mean, whether you're in addiction or not, I think if any of that resonates with you um, and I mean like the royal you again. Um, then just go to, go, I mean, if there's somebody close to you, ask them, Hey, have you ever dealt with something like this? If they say no, get a second opinion. Maybe now you ask somebody professionally, Hey, is this common? And, and go from there. Um, I hate for this to be a plug, but you can go to betterhelp.com slash DDGD thousands of counselors like it's in i i know it's a plug but like it's an insane resource that like it's, it's called free advertising yeah it's really <laughs> fucking hard to find is this a leaky dam because you just plugged it it is but yeah it's 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 a lot harder than people think to just google this stuff like i remember trying to google counselors before i left treatment and it was actually really hard. And those, when you do find someone who specializes in your niche thing, they're booked out forever. So you only get to see them like once a month. It's insane. So this resource allows you to be in constant communication with your, uh, your counselor. So nice. Betterhelp.com slash DDGD. I feel Click the link at the bottom of your screen. Y U C K Y <laughs> saying it, <laughs> but it is, it is fucking insane. Um, well, I, I love you both very much. We love you. I love you. And I mean, I love you. You're, yeah. I love you too. I didn't say I love you. I, I, I know <laughs> I, I've, I've pulled back, but, and I, I make, I make a lot of excuses as to why, like I've pulled back on certain things. Um, Obviously, podcasting like crazy is taking up a lot of my time, but but it's it helps you, and and so that's why you know you, you like you said you didn't go to the AA, you don't have your weekly meetings, but this is your outlet. This is your way to make sure that you're focused on improvement, and it it's your media for your medium for 
continuing that growth and that leaving that old life behind and yeah but is it true what they say though where it's like basically if you're an addict you're going to be addicted to something i mean this is why people go and they like all of a sudden they just become jesus freaks right they'll go from recovery to this is that good is that okay to be like addicted like let's say you get addicted to podcasting right yeah yeah which i don't even know if you could do but, oh, for sure. I mean, is this a good thing? Like, are you sh- should you be striving towards something like this? Or is that part of the helping process? Yeah. I, well, like, for me, I'm lucky in, this, in the sense that, like, um, it's not, like, some self-fulfilling thing. Like, almost every single episode of this, especially, I learn something. So it's, uh, yeah... But it it is insanely common, and I think the danger in becoming addicted to another thing is not is lacking the capacity to realize that you're addicted to that thing. They just people think like addicts think that because we're not doing substance, therefore we're not addicts anymore. And that's I mean the the success rate of addicts is five percent. Five percent of us make it out without relapse, which is, it, it still freaks me out. Cause like, I, I know that like, I don't even, even on my really, really bad days, I don't, I don't quite remember how to get myself uh, ramped up to want to drink again. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I get angry now. And, and when I think about that stuff, I'm like, it would make things so much worse. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, but I, I don't know. It's something that you have to constantly work at. So, I mean, the, the, yeah, it's just that, that thought that I'm not using, therefore I'm not an addict anymore. I think as long as you can continue to say, I'm going to be in recovery for the rest of my life. Um, and I have to frame it that way to make sure that it doesn't come back. Mm-hmm. Um, then you'll be okay. Um, it's, yeah, it's when people say that I'm not an addict anymore that sure. that they kind of it can. Yeah, you just you're tricking yourself, really. So I, I'm I'm not naive. Like I'm lucky. I say that constantly. I'm lucky that I have the family that I have. I'm lucky that I have you guys. Like the the support system that i have is not a luxury or is not yeah it's not a luxury that other people have mm-hmm. a lot of other people have really really bad support systems and nobody is understanding of addiction they think it's it's a selfish thing and so like there were people that were constantly leaving their spouses in treatment and so yeah man i'm just unbelievably lucky and i have to keep thinking of this as something that i will always be in recovery can't can't ever think that i'm cured so boom mic drop yeah that's my thought process but yeah i love you guys thank you so much for being willing to i i know i was kind of all over the place but it there's a, like I said, a lot that I don't remember of like our younger years and like kind of how that dynamic was and, and your guys' perception of it too. Cause I, I think I assume a lot. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> like I thought that I knew what you guys were, how you guys were going to answer the questions that I asked. And I was, 
happily surprised that I, I was wrong. You guys answered it in completely different ways. So thank you very much for doing this. You're welcome. Okay. Only for you. <laughs> all right. Uh, you can find us on all of the all of the social medias at Duck Duck Gray Duke. Um, if you or yourself, or I'm sorry, if you're if you or a loved one have been affected by addiction, you can absolutely submit questions. Um, or if you'd like to be featured anonymously, you can absolutely call in anonymously and, and uh, tell us your story. Or if you just need to to vent about things, you can always email at DuckDuckGrayDuke, and, and we're, we're there as well. Um, all right. Thank you guys very much. And with that, we will pass.